Well, we're in Matthew chapter 6, and so let's go ahead and open our Bibles. We'll start this morning by, by reading our text. So Matthew chapter 6, we're in a new section in Matthew here that goes from verse 1 to verse 18, but this morning we're going to look at just verses 1 to 4. Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray... Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses." And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your heavenly Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Well, this passage begins a a new section of this remarkably well-structured sermon by our Lord Jesus Christ. This sermon's been speaking, as as you know, we've been in this for a number of months, but the sermon's been speaking about the character of one who belongs to Jesus' kingdom. Jesus is the king, and this is his kingly address. Remember, these are almost his first words in this gospel, the first time that we hear from the king. And the king in this sermon declares what kind of person will enter into his kingdom. And so in what we call the Beatitudes in chapter 5, verses really 3 to to the end there, to to verse 10, we saw that the, the, the person to whom the kingdom belongs is in a blessed estate. And we could say that they were blessed for two reasons. One, they were blessed because they've been transformed and they were poor in spirit. 
and meek and merciful. They were those who mourn over sin and who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And they were merciful and pure in heart and peacemakers. And they were then persecuted for righteousness sake. And so we saw that this is a a different kind of person, one who's been transformed by divine grace. But the other reason this person is blessed or, or in an enviable position is because of their future prospects. What they are now or who they are now will mean rewards in the future kingdom. And so theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The, the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. And they will be comforted. They will inherit the earth. They will be satisfied with righteousness. They will one day receive mercy. And they will see God and they'll be called sons of God. And they will be rewarded in the kingdom just like the prophets who were before them will be rewarded. Jesus said then that these disciples in verses 13 to, to, 15, to 16 are the, the, the salt of the earth and the light of the world. In verse 16 it says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Just like a light on a lampstand, so these people with this kind of a character should let their light shine before others that God may be glorified for their transformed lives. And then starting in verse 17, Jesus moves into His disciples' relationship with the law. We're not to think that Jesus abolished the law. He came to fulfill it. And what this meant practically was that those who that we are those who obey the righteous requirements of the law. And we don't do so merely outwardly like the scribes and the Pharisees did, but we are, we obey from the heart. We are, we are careful about even what we think in our hearts. See, a kingdom citizen does not abandon righteousness because Jesus fulfilled the law. We are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And we pattern our lives after our Heavenly Father, as Jesus said in verse 48 of Matthew 5, you therefore must be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. We are those that want to be like our Father God. Now so far in this sermon, the the focus has been on the character of a disciple. The focus has been on who a disciple is. But now in this next section, there's a slight shift to what a disciple does. And we see their actions. We see their conduct. And once again, Jesus contrasts a true disciple with the scribes and the Pharisees. More specifically, the contrast in in this section is between the disciple of Christ and the hypocrites. And I think we can make a connection that the scribes and the Pharisees were hypocrites and Jesus calls them that later in this sermon. But there's this contrast between the disciple of Christ and what, what he or she does and what a hypocrite does and the reasons why we do what we do. We have seen that our righteousness in 520 is to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Our righteousness isn't merely external. We want to be like our Father God in he- who is in heaven. And, and we want to be like Him in the hidden person of our hearts. But now we come to the practice of righteousness. And in verse 1, Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness. 
Beware of practicing your righteousness. And so how do we live a godly lifestyle in this world? We come now to, to how to do righteousness. How to do righteousness. And we see a, a massive difference between the disciple of Christ and the hypocrite. The hypocrite does what he or she does to be seen by other people. They want other people to, to think well of them. They want recognition and praise. And they're putting on a, a little religious show. It's, it's all an act to receive the praise of men. But the disciple is to be aware of such a thing. There's, there's this, this watchfulness that's to be in our lives and, and our motives are entirely different than the hypocrites. We are not those who are trying to put on a show for others. We, we are not to seek the praise of men. Our goal is to please our Father in heaven and He will reward us in the future. We're not to seek earthly rewards from men, but heavenly rewards from God. And the one word that we could use to summarize this section is the word sincere. Sincere. Our actions are to be sincere. We're not putting on a show for the world. We are serving God from the sincerity of our hearts. And this section begins in verse 1 of chapter 6, and it, it goes to the end of verse 18, which we read. And Jesus gives three representative examples of how to practice our righteousness. And verse 1 begins then with this general principle, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And then verses 2 to 4 are the first example. Jesus talks about how to and how not to give alms. Verses 5 to 15 talk about how to and how not to pray. And then verses 16 and 18 talk about how to and how not to fast. And in each case, we are not to be like the hypocrites. Instead, we are, be, we are to be sincere. And what we learn from this is that motives matter. Motives matter. If we do what we do for unrighteous reasons, we will not be rewarded by our Heavenly Father. Even if what we do is, is righteous and looks righteous, if we do it for unrighteous reasons, we corrupt our righteousness. And we're to beware of this very thing. But if our motives are right, this passage teaches that we can expect a heavenly reward with our Father. So today we're going to look at verses 1 to 4. I called this message, Righteousness, Sincerity, and Giving. Righteousness, Sincerity, and Giving. And what we'll see in our passage is three facets of righteousness leading to heavenly rewards. Three facets of righteousness. There's kind of three aspects, three ways that we look at righteousness in this passage. And the result of this, the result of this kind of righteousness is that there's going to be rewards in heaven for such a one that lives the way Jesus calls us to live in this passage. And so first we're going to see the general principle in verse 1. 
And verse 1 applies to this whole section all the way to verse 18. It applies to giving, it applies to our praying, and it applies to our fasting. And really, those are just three examples. This really applies to everything that we do, this general principle that we see in verse 1. And we're going to call that the, the general principle of righteous action. This is the general principle of righteous action. We're to do it not to be seen by others, but with with the idea that God himself is watching us. We're doing it sincerely for God. That's the general principle. And then secondly, we're going to see the specific action of giving in verses 2 to 4. Jesus tells us first how not to give in verse 2, and then he tells us how to give in verse 3. And I, I called this, number 2, the genuine practice of righteous almsgiving. The genuine practice of righteous almsgiving. And then we're going to look at verse 4, and we see the the purpose statement in verse 4. Why should we do what Jesus says in verses 1 to 3? Well, verse 4 says, So that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And I called this, number 3, the the gracious purpose for righteous acts. The gracious purpose for righteous acts. And that purpose is that God will reward us for what we do in this life. So we'll see God's gracious purpose. And if we practice genuine righteousness in giving, God will graciously reward us. If our goal is to please our Father who sees in secret, our Father will reward us. And so again, we're going to look at three facets of righteousness that lead to heavenly rewards. And the first one is just this general principle in verse 1, the general principle of righteous action. And verse 1 really, as I said already, applies broadly over everything that we do. Alms, prayers, and fasting, those were considered the the primary aspects of the Jewish religious practice. And this is about what we do as people. In the previous section, we covered the law, and and the law dealt with, in a sense, we could say the law dealt with what we should not do. And how we should not be. In this section, we're, we're talking more about our practice and our actions. In the, fir- in, the, in the previous section, it was, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit murder, you shall not commit adultery, and now we're into what we, what we shall do. We're into the positive side. And Jesus' concern is, is not with the doing of a thing, so much as He's concerned with why we do the thing. He says that that we have to be very careful about our motives. We have to be careful about the question of of who. Who are we seeking to please in what we do? Motives matter to God. And tied to this understanding of motives is the, the whole idea of reward. Our motives behind our action are going to determine if we will receive a a reward or not. So look at verse 1. Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Jesus says we need to beware. We need to beware. We need to be aware of our motives. And that word translated beware there means pay attention to or care for 
or devote yourselves to. Another idea behind this is we are to turn our minds to this matter of motives. We need to give careful attention to this. We need to concentrate on how or why we do righteous deeds. This word beware is also in the present tense, which means that we need to constantly, continually be being aware of our practice in this area. And this tells me that we are in danger of falling into what Jesus warns us about here. There's a, there's a danger here that we need to be careful about. We must constantly beware lest we begin to do our righteousness before men to be seen by them. If we aren't watchful, we will, we will do this. And, and if we do this, we will lose our reward. And so we need to be careful about this. We need to beware of this evil. Pay attention. Think about why you do what you do. And what we're specifically to be aware of here is practicing our righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. To do so, as Jesus will say in verse 2 and 5 and 16, is to be a hypocrite. A hypocrite was a, an actor. It was a, a word for an actor. And they played a part in a play on the stage. And they would, they would put on a show on the stage and they would display that show for other people to see and watch that show. And so they were putting on a show. And so a hypocrite is the opposite of a sincere person. A hypocrite isn't being sincere. They're, they're acting apart for the show. They're, they're putting on this play. It's not sincerely what they feel and think. They're just putting on a show and pretending to be something that they're not. And this is truly evil because think about it. They're doing things that look righteous, not because they are righteous, but they, they want to look righteous to others. That's what the, the hypocrite in this context is doing. And so the hypocrite gives money, but not to help the poor, but in order to get praise from others. And the hypocrite, they pray, and they, they, they pray though not for God's glory, not for His kingdom, but they pray so that other people think that they are spiritual. And so there's, there's this lack of sincerity in their prayers. They're praying for the effect that it will have on others. You see this, the, the, what this is? You can do all the things, and this is important, you can do all the things that a Christian does, but you can do them for entirely unchristian, unrighteous reasons. You can put on a show of righteousness with wicked motives. And you can fool people doing that, but God knows your heart and He will not reward hypocrisy. And if your motive is to receive glory from men, you will be rewarded with whatever glory you receive from men. But that'll be the end of your reward. But if you and I are careful and our motive is to honor God and glorify Him, He will reward us. And so that's the general principle. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men or before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. That's the general principle. And then from here, 
Jesus moves into the specific case of giving. And so number two then, second facet of righteousness leading to heavenly rewards is number two, the genuine practice of righteous almsgiving. In verses two and three, the genuine practice of righteous almsgiving. And and we can further divide this section into two parts. First, Jesus tells us what not to do and how not to be. And then he tells us what to do or how to give. And so let's look at what not to do in verse two. What, What should we not do here? Jesus says, thus, or therefore, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. And the first thing we should notice is that Jesus says here, when you give. Notice he doesn't say, if you give, he says, when. And so he assumes that his followers will give. He assumes that his followers will do all of the things that he says in this section. And so look at, look at with me at verse 2. It says, thus, when you give. And then again in verse 3, but when you give. Or verse 5, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Verse 6, but when you pray. Verse 7, and when you pray. Verse 16, and when you fast, do not be look gloomy like the hypocrites. And again in verse 17, but when you fast. And so Jesus assumes that we will give and we will fast and we will pray. It's not a matter matter of whether we will give or not. It's a matter of when we will give. Now, interestingly, the, the Greeks did not have a word for giving to the poor. And I, I don't know exactly why or what, what the, the reasoning is, but there, there was no word in Greek for giving to the poor. And so a literal, literal translation of this section here is, is when therefore, or, or yeah, when thus, thus when, or when therefore you do mercy. When you do mercy, or when you do a, a kindness, when you do a mercy. This, this word was, was taken for giving to the poor, for, for giving alms, for charitable giving. And so when you do this giving to the poor, when you do alms, when you do charitable giving, but more broadly, this, this word, when you give to the needy, as the ESV translates it, it, it could just more broadly refer to any compassionate thing done for somebody in need. When you do a compassionate deed, we're not to sound a trumpet before us. Now, in Jesus' time, the government didn't have a, a welfare system or social programs, and anyone who was poor or needy was dependent on charitable giving. And the Jewish people took it very seriously, and so they gave to the poor. And the Old Testament commanded that the poor in the land be taken care of. They were to be compassion. They were to have compassion for the poor. And just to kind of show you this in just one place, let's, let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 15 and just kind of get a, a little sense of what some of what the Old Testament said about this. Deuteronomy chapter 15, and we'll start, start reading in verse 7. If any, if, uh, if among you, 
one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Take care lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart and you say, the seventh year, the year of release is near and you, your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother and you give him nothing and he cried to the Lord against you and you be guilty of sin. You shall give to him freely and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. For there will never cease to be poor to be to be poor in the land. Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. And so in the Old Testament, there was this commandment from God to care for the poor, to have compassion on those who were poor and needy in the land. And we're to have an open hand towards the poor. And there's a promise there in verse 10 of, of the Lord blessing as you give to take care of the poor. And in the New Testament as well, we are to have compassion on the poor, especially the poor among us, among our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we'll talk more about about just giving in general in a a moment. But notice, now we're back in Matthew. Note the the manner in which we are are to give, or, or actually how we are not to give, It says in verse 2, Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you. This is a command here. Do not sound a trumpet. Now Jesus is most likely exaggerating here. There's no evidence of anyone literally blowing a trumpet as far as we know in the ancient world when they when they were giving. And so it's kind of a, a funny picture of the hypocrites blowing a trumpet so that everyone could could come and see. The the hypocrites and the actors, they're they're sounding this trumpet as they give in the synagogues and in the, the narrow market streets. And and both the synagogue and the narrow market street is, is what that word means there in the streets are are both very visible places. And the reason for the trumpet blast was to draw attention to the gift and to draw attention to their generous giving. And they sounded the trumpet before them then to to make others aware of their giving. And in verse 2, it goes on to say that they may be praised by others. That they may be praised by others. Now, go back to the same wording is used in verse 16 of chapter 5. It says there, in the same way, in the same way that, that light gives light to a house when you put it on a lampstand, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now notice in both of these passages, there's this so that statement. So when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. So there's this this purpose clause, that they may be praised by others. And that word praised is the same word translated glorify in verse 16 of chapter 5, so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. 
And so what's happening is instead of glorifying the Father, this trumpet blowing is is for the purpose that they might be glorified, that the people who give might be glorified. Now think about this again. The reason this person, this hypocrite, is giving to the needy or, or giving alms or doing charitable giving, the reason this person is giving is so that they might get glory from men. Commentator David Turner said, giving to the needy in order to receive publicity is not giving at all. It is paying for human approval. And then he says, and it forfeits divine approval. So what a wicked deed. You, you've turned your righteous giving into a form of wickedness. It's paying for human approval, not giving to the needy at all. You see how evil that actually is when you think about it? It's looking like you care for the poor, but in reality, one is being entirely selfish when they do this. And Jesus says, if that is the motive, then there will be no reward. Truly, he says in verse 2, I say to you, or amen, I say to you, they have received their reward. And that word received there is a, a special term, a technical term from the marketplace, and it means paid in full. It means the, the transaction is complete and there's nothing more to expect. So if we seek men's praise in our righteous deeds, we, we, we might well get it. We, we might not get men's praise, but if we get it, doesn't matter whether you get it or not. The transaction is paid in full and you should expect nothing else. The hypocrite actors receive all of their rewards in whatever praise they receive for their show. And Jesus is telling us, do not do that. So what should we do? Or how should we give? Well, look at verse 3 now to the positive side. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now that's a funny little saying. You know, when you give, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now what does that mean? It seems to be the opposite of blowing a trumpet. When in the act of giving, and, that, and that's kind of how this, this is, should be translated, when, when in the act of giving, there's this picture of, of the giving happening, and when you're in that act of giving, try to make it known as little as possible. If possible, don't even tell your other hand what you're doing. And then verse 4 adds, so that your giving may be in secret. Our giving should be a secret or at least as much as possible. We are to give, in other words, because we care. We are to be utterly sincere in our giving. And we're to give to honor God and to help others. And that's, that's it. In verse 2, the giving was to receive honor from men. In verse 3, we hide our giving, even if we could, even from ourselves. And the idea then, I think, is that we don't take credit for our giving. We're not to give ourselves glory. We're not to pat ourselves on the back. There's no self-congratulations in, in what we give. 
And you can see then that this whole matter is really about the motives of the heart. Because you could do this. You could, you could give secretly so that when somebody, in the hopes that somebody might discover your secret giving, and then they will praise you for your secret giving. You see how, how subtle our hearts can be? And so the idea here is that our giving is to be sincere and we, we hide it and, and the motive of our heart is to, to help and to glorify God. Our hearts are deceitful and, and we naturally want others to think well of us. That's why Jesus warned us to beware of this very thing and we can set out to honor God and end up seeking men's applause. And so we need to pay careful attention about what we are doing and, and what we are hoping to get in all of our righteous actions. A genuine love for God and a desire to honor Him is really the best way to ensure that our giving is right. Let me just repeat that. The, how do we, how do we do this? How do we, how do we keep away from this kind of selfish wanting glory for ourselves? And I think the answer is a, a genuine love for God and a, a desire to honor Him. That's the way to keep right in this whole thing. And at this point, I, I just want to kind of stop and address two things. I, I think it is two things. First of all, some people seem, see a, a bit of a contradiction between what's said in this verse and what's said in chapter 5 and verse 16. So in, in our verse today... We're to hide our good deeds so that they are not seen by others. But as we already saw in verse 16 of chapter 5, we're to show our good deeds so that others may see them. Again, verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now these verses are, are very similar, but there's also significant differences. In verse 16, the, the light that we are to shine is the light of our godly character. It's much easier, if you think about it, it's, it's much easier to give money to look good than it is to shine your godly character everywhere that you go, right? It, you can, you can give or make an elaborate prayer or, or, or maybe even fasting, although that's maybe not as big of a thing in our day, but you can, you can, you can do those things much more easy to get praise than you, than you can to just be godly in every situation of your life. Now the point of verse 16 in chapter 5 is that you cannot and should not try to hide your godly character. Don't hide your godly character. And just before that, Jesus was talking about persecution. And so Jesus is saying in chapter 5, don't cover up your godly character to avoid persecution. You need to light up the world with your godliness. Shine your light so that God will be glorified, so that He gets the glory. That's the idea in chapter 5. But in our text, we're to cover our actions as best as we can. We're, we're covering our deeds, not our character, our, our conduct, not our character. And you do it for the same reason, ultimately. You, you, you cover your giving so that God and only God will be glorified. And so don't hide your godly character, but, but do hide those actions that you can. 
John MacArthur in his commentary quoted A.B. Bruce on this, and A.B. Bruce said, quote, We are to show when tempted to hide and hide when tempted to show. And I think that's the idea here. We're to, to show when there's this temptation to hide it, and we hide it when there's this temptation to get praise from men for it. Now the other thing that I want to address, so there's no contradiction there, it just kind of different, a little bit slightly different perspectives and different actions, different motives. The other thing I want to address is just kind of giving in general. Now giving done in the synagogue, right, this giving is in the synagogues and in the streets. Giving done in the synagogue would have been for anything that was needed to keep the work of that place going. And so it would have been very similar to any giving that we do here in church. Giving on the streets would have been most likely giving that that was directed for the poor. Now, I'm not going to say much about, about giving to the poor and needy today. And, and I, all I really want to say is that much of that role, at least in Canada, has been taken by the government. The, the governments in, in Canada, North America, the United States, they tax us and they, they provide for the poor. They give money for the poor and they have, they've actually, in a sense, kind of taken that giving to the needy aspect largely from the hands of the church. Now, I, I think that's a little bit unfortunate. I think the church could do a better job of caring for the poor than the government does. And we would have, we would be much more wise in the way that we care for the poor than the government is. The government just gives money indiscriminately. We could, we could actually, I think, do more help for people. But regardless, we're to submit to the government in these things and the government takes our money and gives it to whomever they please. And, uh, I think we, if, largely, Poverty is not the same issue as it was in the ancient Near East. There was no Roman welfare system and those kind of things. And so, so the, the poor would, would be largely dependent even for their daily food on the generosity of others. Now, that being said, there is a role that we have in caring for the poor, especially those that are in our our church. And uh, I think there's kind of, Scripture gives a little bit of guidance on this. I think our help should be first from the family. Each family should care for their own poor. And then there's there's this, you know, there's there we should all, as there's a poor person in our midst, we should take advantage of any government aid that it, that is available. Paul says in 1 Timothy 5, verse 7, and this is kind of the, the balance on this, 1 Timothy 5, 7, and 8, Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And so we're to care for our families and relatives first. And next, the responsibility for caring comes to the church. And maybe not even the church as an institution, but as a body of believers, as a, as a group of believers, it's our responsibility to care for those poor that are in our midst. And we're to care for those in need in our midst. And, and we do that with a, a twofold strategy. One is usually people in need need immediate help. They need groceries. They need help with debt. They need certain bills covered. And then secondly, 
we, we often need to, to provide some counsel on what God's Word says on money and spending and saving and giving, etc. And so when we help the poor in our midst, we kind of want to do it with that twofold strategy. Help them with some initial, you know, relief and providing for their needs that they might, might be able to eat and then come alongside with, with counsel about what God's Word says about money, saving, giving, all of those things. If we give money but don't help with counseling and teaching, we end up doing as much harm as good. And we can make or enable a a perpetual problem there. And so we want to be careful about that because Paul said this as well, 2 Thessalonians 3.10, even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. And so there's kind of a, a balance there that, that we, sh- you know, we do want to provide for the, for the needs of those in need, but we got to beware of not, not just helping enable somebody in a, a problem, uh, of, of using their financial resources unwisely. If anyone is not willing to work, then let him not eat. So we help the poor, especially those who are part of our fellowship, but beyond that, um, and, and we help them in a way that goes kind of beyond what the government does of just giving money to a situation. So now I want to come to just giving in general, giving to the church. Now, obviously, when it comes to giving in the church, everything that this passage says applies, right? We are not to sound a trumpet. Uh, we don't. And, and in fact, it's actually kind of nice here because we actually don't even pass the offering plate, right? Right now our giving is online. And so in a, in a sense, that's kind of nice because nobody knows who's giving what online. Now there's, there's so much that we could say about just giving in general, but um, I just want to say just a few things about it. First of all, if you appreciate the work and ministry of the church, you will give to the church. A lot of churches struggle with giving because their people don't understand the importance of the church. Right? We've talked about this the last couple of Sundays. The church is God's plan to reach lost people with the gospel. And the church is God's plan to teach those people to grow in likeness to Christ. And because of that, the church is God's plan to glorify Himself in this age. It's His, it's His primary vehicle where people are transformed into the likeness of His Son so that they can give glory to God. And the work of the church is best carried forward if one or more of its leaders can devote their time to preaching, teaching, prayer, and even leading that church. And actually, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take you to a bunch of passages here. So let's go over to 1 Timothy 5. To begin with, look at, look at 1 Timothy 5 and verses 17 and 18. Paul says there that elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while it is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Now, double honor there, worthy of double honor, that, that word double honor has the idea of pay connected to it. And so, to not to be too crude, you keep me unmuzzled 
so that I can focus on the ministry and not on feeding the family. The, the laborer is worthy of his wages. And many of the things that, that we do as a church then, kind of beyond keeping me unmuzzled so that I can focus on the ministry, many of the things that we do cost money. You know, one day it would be amazing to have our own building so that we could be freer to do ministry on our own time and have a place for us to gather. And so we give to the church so that the, that the church can reach wider and do more. Even in our pastoral prayer today, we, we saw that, that, that Gaius was, was supporting the, 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 the saints that went out and were really acting as missionaries. And one day I would love to support gifted church planting and, and pastoral, pastor training missionaries. And there's many ways that, that we can grow as a local church, but it all takes time and money. And so we give, recognizing then that, that God is the one who owns everything. And so I'm just kind of giving you some, some things to think about as we give. First of all, um, we give according to what we saw in, in our passage. Then we give so that, so that certain people in our church can focus on the preaching and teaching of God's word. And those laborers want to be able to, to focus on that entirely and not be distracted with, with trying to raise money in other ways. And then we, we give so that the entire work of the church, like renting this facility and other things that we need to, to do our ministry, we give so that we can do that. And as we give and our influence can expand kind of more and more beyond the walls of this local church. Now, as we, as we give just some kind of principles for our own personal giving, we give recognizing, first of all, that God is the one who owns everything. And everything that we have comes from Him, including our ability to make money with the work that we do. God has given us the skills so that we can earn money. But everything belongs to God. Everything is, is, is His. And so when we give, we really are giving back to God what He has given to us. And we do so as an act of worship. And it's an act of gratitude for how God provides for us. And so giving is a, a part of our worship. And then we're to give cheerfully. And I want you to turn and see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're to give cheerfully. There's, there's nothing forcing us to give. There, there's no law on giving in the New Testament. Jesus expects that we will. He says when we give, but there's no law on giving. And so look at 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Paul says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided, decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Give cheerfully, Paul says, and, and we are to give cheerfully, but, but also recognize that God blesses giving in a, in a mysterious way. And, and, and being able to give is a blessing in and of itself. And so give cheerfully, but recognize also that, that there's this blessing that God gives. And as we give, he tends to give us, uh, even more in, in, in greater ways. Now flip over to Acts chapter 20. 
Acts chapter 20, great little section. Uh, we'll, we'll start in verse 33. A couple things we can see from, from Paul here. Look at Acts 20, 33. He says, uh, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so Paul worked hard to be able to give, and we should have that similar attitude. And in our giving, we should remember what Jesus said, that it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so we are, we are blessed to give and we're to do so cheerfully and not under compulsion. Also, we should remember, and now I want you to turn back to Matthew chapter 6. Remember what Jesus said in this whole section of Matthew 6. And I just have verse 18 here. At the end of verse 18, and really throughout this section, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. And so when we give, we should remember that God will reward our giving. And then look at verse 19 right after that. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so our giving then should be with this heavenly recognition that we're not to build up and store up treasures on earth. There's this eternal mindedness that we should have. And I think in a, in a, in a great sense, the church and the work of the church should be our treasure. And, and because that's our treasure, then our heart will be there also, and we will give to the local church if we treasure the work of the local church. Now, the next thing I want to say about giving, it takes us to 1 Corinthians 16. And so let's go back over to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And we look at verse 1 and 2 here. Paul says, in this context, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so also are, so you also are to do on the first day of every week, each of you is to put aside, put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And the idea that I, I just want to draw from this is that our, our giving should be planned. It should be organized, even budgeted. Uh, we are, they were paid weekly, and so Paul had them give weekly. They met weekly. They got paid weekly. And so Paul recommends this, this putting aside something every week as they come together. Uh, you know, I and maybe you get paid monthly, and so it, I think it's totally fine to give monthly. But the, the point is that, that we should be regular and organized in our giving. 
Now, there's also room with that to be spontaneous. And sometimes when God blesses us in a special way, sometimes it's appropriate to give something extra and to to give something out of thankfulness and gratitude. And we can do that spontaneously, but we should be organized and planned and budgeted in our giving. Now, one more thing. Let's go to back to 2 Corinthians now and chapter 8. I, w- I want to show you an, an amazing passage on giving here, one that... One that I'd love to preach on one day. Just a, a great passage. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 5, Paul says, But we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that, that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. And so God's grace in Macedonia caused the the Macedonians to overflow with generous giving, even though they were financially poor. They were in a severe affliction and extreme poverty, but God's grace in their lives made them give joyfully even beyond their means. And they, look at verse 4, they they were even begging. They did this of their own accord, and they even begged us earnestly for the favor of taking part in this ministry. And note that they gave themselves first to the Lord and then they gave to the ministry. And that's, that's really the, the way that it should be. It's, it's first to the Lord and we should do our giving willfully, not under compulsion, but joyfully, cheerfully. Those are just some thoughts on giving. And, and now let me just kind of say, Something even more personally, you know, Grace Bible Fellowship, you have been very generous, really since the, the day that we began receiving funds. We've always had enough. More has, I think more has come in than we spent, I think every month since we started. I, I think there might have been one, one month where it, there was a slight difference where we spent more than we gave, but really you guys have been very, very generous and you are to be commended in that. I want you to know I don't I don't know who gives what and I really try to keep out of that because I, I don't like to know who gives what. But but I just know that that you all and, and we all have been very generous. And and that generosity helps me and helps us just to focus on the ministry and not to have to worry about anything else financially. Um you know when I when I did the Grace Advance training in the summer last summer, they said they said that that very early on, you're going to have to teach on giving. You're going to have to do a sermon on giving because it's just necessary to do. And I just came and I found uh, there's no need for me to give a message on giving because uh, everyone has been so generous. And so, I, and even now, I wouldn't have preached on this except that it's our next passage in Matthew. We don't, I don't need to preach on giving. You guys have been very generous. And so I want to commend you and encourage you. But again, don't take the encouragement now to, to slack off in this area. I think this is something that we should abound in more and more. Now, that being said, perhaps 
some of you do need to, to hear something on giving because I don't know what each individual gives. And so um, I just kind of throw that out. This is actually a, a great time for us to evaluate, are we, are we doing well in this area of our lives? Because we just received our, our tax statements. And so you can kind of go back and look at your tax statement and say, how much did I give? What did I give this year? And, and should I do better? You know, one of the other things about giving in the New Testament is that it's, it's to be sacrificial. It's, it's to be joyful. It's to be done without compulsion, but it's also to be sacrificial like the Macedonians. And so you can kind of evaluate your giving on that level. And, um, so just to summarize again, giving should be sacrificial. It should be generous. It should be organized. Our giving should be heavenly focused, not earthly minded. It should be not under compulsion. It should be cheerful. It should be done as an act of worship. And it should be done as an act of worship for God's eyes alone, not so that others will praise us. And so that was the, uh, I forget what I called it, but that was the, um, the, uh, the practice, the, the genuine practice of righteous almsgiving. Now into number three, the gracious purpose for righteous acts. Verse four, the gracious purpose for righteous acts. And again, in, in verse four, Jesus says, so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And so we're to keep our left hand from knowing what our right hand is doing so that our giving may be in secret. And when our giving, our, our praying, our fasting, and our other righteous actions are done in secret, that means they are done for God. And this, this godly, this is godly sincerity here. No hypocritical show, just genuine righteousness to honor and please God. Genuine giving to expand the church and to take care of the needy. And when we give in that way, God will reward us for what we do for Him in this world. And our giving will be rewarded. And our praying will be rewarded. And our fasting will be rewarded. And everything that we do for the Lord will one day be rewarded by Him. And this always blows me away because the only reason that we, we love Him and serve Him and, and do anything for Him is because He first loved us. And everything we do for God is only because He first did something for us. But still, God rewards everything. And He does so not on earth, not in this life, but in heaven and in the kingdom. And that's why I called this the gracious purpose. God's reward is a, a double grace. First, His grace enables us to do, and then His grace rewards us for what we do. And we can even do a triple grace because the rewards themselves are going to be beyond what we deserve. And so heavenly rewards are, are mentioned so often in the book of Matthew. We saw it already in chapter 5 that we will be rewarded when we are persecuted for righteousness sake. And in chapter 6, there's a lot of emphasis on rewards. Now, Scripture doesn't actually say much about the content of our reward. It says often that we will be rewarded and that we will be richly rewarded, but it doesn't say exactly what we will have. All we know is that it will be great, that they will be eternal rewards, 
That they will be, be beyond worth it in comparison to what happened in this life? And the ultimate prize, the ultimate reward is that will be our relationship with God. But God will reward everything we do so long as we do it for His glory and not for our own selfishness. And so we saw then three facets of righteousness leading to heavenly rewards. First of all, the general principle of righteous action. That we're to, to do it, to have a reward from our Father in heaven, not to be seen by men, whatever we do. Then we applied it, the, the general, genuine practice of righteous almsgiving, we applied it to righteous almsgiving, to giving. And we see that that is to be genuine. It is to be done not to, to, to be seen by men, but it is to be done in secret so that our Father who sees in secret will reward us. That is the gracious purpose for righteous acts. God has a gracious purpose in everything that we do for Him. And Jesus said we need to be careful about this very thing. And so let me ask you again, why do you do what you do? Who are you trying to please in your giving? If your aim is to please men, your reward is paid in full here on earth. But if we aim higher, if we aim to please our Heavenly Father, He will reward us with eternal rewards. Let's pray. Father, we just thank You for our time together in Your Word and for a passage on our righteousness. We pray, Father, that You would help us and protect us and keep us from this dangerous thing of wanting to be seen and recognized by others. Father, we just confess it in our own lives that there is and has been a desire to please others in the things that we do. And we pray that you would deliver us from that and help us to live for your glory alone in this world. Father, we pray that our good deeds and, and the things that we do would be seen, but only so that you receive the glory. As you tell us in chapter 5 and verse 16, Father, we pray that you would help us to give in this way and to continue to be generous in our giving. And we just marvel that you would reward us for what you are really doing in our lives. And we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you for your salvation. And we thank you for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.